So far as you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We'll be reading from Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, which is on page 929 in the Bibles under your chairs. Um, if you don't have a Bible, please take that as our gift to you. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and the people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then, the day, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the, the new from the old, and the worst, the, and the t- worst tear is made. And no one puts a new wine into old skin, wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But the new wine is for fresh wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Megan. You may be seated. I want to invite Jim Mislowski to come on up. Um, and uh, as I introduce my friend, many of you, he's a somewhat familiar face. He's preached uh, how many times now here at Bayless since uh, I've been here? This will be my third. Third time here. Third time. And I say this every time uh, you are here, I think. Uh, Jim has been um, a pastor to me, literally and figuratively, for a long time. Um, I, when I was in Denver, Jim was my pastor um, when I served as a student ministry director, and his son was in um, my youth ministry. Um, but since then, Jim is, uh, well, God has allowed Jim and I to be in the same state together um, by God's sovereignty, Praise which has been God. a pretty big kindness. What a joy. And when things are going pretty difficultly, uh, when things are pretty hard in my life, when I'm not sure what to do or how to respond to Christ's grace, uh, Jim is often the first phone call that I make. He's, he's cared for me so well, and uh, including this week. So we had an unexpected emergency room visit with one of our kids. They're doing okay, but we're back now, and I called uh, Jim um, in last minute to see if he would serve our church, and he, willing, he willingly agreed. Um, and, uh, and Jim, I'm just so grateful for you. Oh, you man. demonstrate to me um, just the kind of radical love God says takes place when we're changed by his grace, so thank you. Um, and I want to pray for you. And then I'm excited to grow under um, God's word as you preach it. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for my friend um, this morning. And it's not about him, though. It's about Christ. And that word is what we want to make clear. Jim and I would both say that our two cents are not what's necessary or what we need. We need to know um, uh, the one who has brought us into God's family. We need to know the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to see him clearly. And we pray that Jesus would be seen clearly as uh, Mark chapter 2 is preached. Um, I pray that you would give clarity to my friend's thoughts um, and that the preparation he's put in pays off um, and it it makes much of you and nothing stands in its way and that your church is built up in unity and in joy and those here who come with questions and doubts of their own make better sense of who Jesus is and what he's come, come to do. We pray all these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Evan. That relationship's mutual. I call Evan when I struggle, too. He's been such a blessing to me and my family, to my kids. What a joy to be with you this morning. And I feel like I got a promotion the last time I preached to you. I was in my basement. And uh, so now I'm, like, out in the world and with you. And so uh, just thankful to be with you uh, during these strange days. Uh, and so uh, today, 
we're, we're looking into the, the word of God, right? And, and here's what you've done by coming here today. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah said way back a long time ago, when he's prophesying to the people of Israel, he said, be shocked, be appalled. My people have committed two sins. They have turned away from the fountain of living waters and they have dug cisterns and wells for themselves that can't hold water, broken cisterns. Do you know when we come to gather here, what we're doing is we're turning back to the fountain of living waters. That's what this word is. This is, this is the word of the Lord. This is Jesus himself speaking to us. And all week long, right, we've been listening to the voices of the world, empty wells, broken, broken wells that can't really hold water and really satisfy us. But today, we get to turn to the fountain of living waters and, and listen to him speak to us. And so we're going to jump into this passage. You've heard the passage twice now, and we have prayed. And so I'm going to jump right into this. Um, our, our passage, Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, is about letting go of the old and embracing the new. Uh, and I don't think I need to emphasize what your life has been like in the last few months in, in terms of letting go of old things. And as we say, leaning into the awkward and embracing new things. The fact that you're sitting here with your chairs arranged in such a weird pattern, right? You have strange things covering your faces, right? You're, you're leaning in the awkward. You're embracing new things. Um, that's not the only thing that's changing. Your whole world, my whole world is changing. And so let's see what the Lord uh, has to say about this. If you're taking notes, your outline should go like this. Number one, the question, why, Jesus, are you and your disciples not fasting while the Pharisees and the disciples of John are fasting? That's the question. Second part will be Jesus' response. That'll be your second heading. The third heading would be the parable. Jesus tells a parable. And then finally, will be our response. So those are the four headings if you're taking notes. The question, Jesus' response, the parable, and our response. So let's talk about the question, all right? Um, who is they? Because it says, uh, they asked Jesus. The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Right? And so um, you may think this is a minor point, but let's, let's talk about who is asking. In our passage, it says, and the people, the people said to him, all right? Um, the people is, uh, this is uh, Peter's account through Mark that we're getting. Uh, there's the disciples of John and the Pharisees, and then there's Jesus's disciples and himself. And the people are watching this, and what they're seeing is a very strange thing. Just before this passage, Jesus and his disciples were at a party at Matthew's house, uh, eating with uh, tax collectors and sinners, which was just weird and strange, and the Pharisees were in his face about it, asking him questions. Why are you doing this? You're hanging out with sinners. Um, and, and here, the people are seeing this. Jesus is at a party, and the, the Pharisees and the disciples of John are fasting, right? Now, uh, you need to get this picture. I want you to hear how Jesus described fasting looked like in this day, right? This is, a, this is Jesus from Matthew chapter 6. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting 
may be seen by others. Uh, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will see you. All right, so uh, what, what the people are seeing, they're seeing the Pharisees and John's disciples um, kind of messed up. Uh, they look like they haven't taken a shower. Their hair may be a little messed. They may have actually sprinkled ashes on their head. Uh, and they did this every Monday and every Thursday. So the people are used to seeing this happen on a regular basis. This is what fasting looked like for the Pharisees. And now it's what it's looked like for the disciples of John. And the people are seeing the contrast between these religious people and Jesus and his disciples who are also religious people in their, in their eyes, right? So they're, they're asking the question, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Now here's, here's something uh, we need to note in this passage. John's disciples are, are one of the focuses of who Jesus is talking to here. I want to tell you, this, this uh, incident is recorded in all of the Gospels. In John's Gospel, John says it is actually the disciples of John who came to ask Jesus this question. Right? But now here it says the people, and sometimes people look at the Gospels and say, well, they're, they're conflicting. Well, they're not conflicting. Uh, the writer of, of John wanted, or I'm sorry, of Matthew, wanted us to, to notice that it was the disciples of John that, that asked this question. Um, but as Peter recalls it, everybody actually had this question. It may have been the disciple of John that asked it, but everybody wants to know what's going on. So they're not in conflict. You just have two eyewitnesses that are relating what they noticed when they were there. That's one of the beautiful things about the gospel. We know they're real because that's what eyewitnesses sound like. One eyewitness notices other details that other eyewitnesses don't. There's not a conflict here. We're getting a full picture of what's happening, all right? But here's something you need to know. The disciples of John the Baptist are still hanging out together, even though John is now in jail. You realize we're in a place, at the beginning of Mark, John got arrested and thrown into prison. So John the Baptist is in prison. But his disciples are still operating. In fact, the, and, and understand, these are the disciples of John that didn't choose to follow Jesus, right? Some of Jesus' disciples were actually disciples of John. Remember there was a day John said, remember, I've been telling you guys about the, the lamb that was supposed to come that I'm here to talk about? That's him. And some of his disciples went and followed Jesus, but some of them didn't. And here they are now. They've turned their following of John into a religious sect, Right? These are guys that are now, they've kind of paired up with the Pharisees because their leader is in jail, and he's not with them anymore. And they're still continuing to try to follow what they learned from John. Although what they should have learned from John was, you should be following Jesus, right? So there's a little bit of sadness here. Something you need to understand. These disciples of John, uh, they, they, of John the Baptist, they won't come to know Christ until way later in the book of Acts, right? But for now, that's the picture that we're in, okay? Uh, so there's this question in the air uh, about what's happening and what's going on. And, and here's what's important to understand. Uh, John the Baptist, uh, they would have called him an ascetic. The Pharisees are ascetics as well. And asceticism is intentionally giving something up for the purpose of a greater good. 
And in the case of John the Baptist, John the Baptist gave up all kinds of things, right? He gave up marriage. He gave up the priesthood. He gave up uh, nice food and nice, nice clothing. Uh, he, he denied himself lots of things so that he could be the messenger for Jesus. That was a good thing. Giving up stuff for the sake of giving up stuff can be a deadly thing. And that's what you're seeing happening here. So uh, in the midst of all of our materialism as America, there's actually a, a movement of people that are simplifying their lives, right? Which isn't a bad thing. Uh, if there's a reason that you're doing that to, to focus on other things, that's a good thing. But at some point, if you're one of those people that's decided to start simplifying their life and you start looking at other people who aren't doing that and holding yourself above them, you might be a Pharisee, right? That's, the, that's when it gets dangerous. Uh, so that's what's happening here. And I think it's interesting to note um, some of Jesus' disciples are with him. They've been eating and drinking with him at the party with the sinners. Uh, and, and the others, the Pharisees and, and the disciples of John aren't. So there's this big contrast. And uh, Jesus uh, responds to the question, and he says to them, um, can the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom's taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Now, here's what's fascinating about Jesus' response. Jesus is actually using John the Baptist's words to answer these people. That's why I, I would say there's, Jesus is wanting the disciples of John the Baptist to hear his response, even though he's responding to all of us. We're all sitting here going, okay, what's going on here? Why this here huge contrast? Jesus takes John the Baptist's words, and I want you to hear what John the Baptist said uh, back in John chapter 3, verse 29. John the Baptist's disciples were following him, and everybody was going over to Jesus. And they weren't following John as much anymore. And they questioned John about this. John, everybody's going to see Jesus. Listen to what John said. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Isn't that crazy? Jesus takes John the Baptist's words to answer this question. He uses this analogy of the bridegroom because it's a very important analogy to notice. There's a couple things that Jesus is saying through this response. Uh, number one, this can actually be interpreted as a veiled messianic claim. The prophets earlier, Isaiah and others, used the bridegroom analogy to talk about the Savior. And so Jesus is actually saying, I'm, I'm not bridegroom, I am the Messiah. That's one of the things that he's saying here. The second thing that he's saying, it's important to hear, um, is that this is an early warning of the theme of the cross. Jesus is going to start telling the disciples, hey, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to get killed. They're going to hate me. They're going to despise me. They're going to persecute me. They're going to kill me, right? And, and this is where he's starting that theme of I'm going to the cross. He says the, the day will come when the bridegroom's taken away. 
And then finally, this is a saying that's intended to legitimize the practice of fasting for the church after his death and resurrection, the post-Easter church. So it's important to pay attention uh, to this answer. But here's what Jesus is really saying, right? Uh, so the people are noticing, here's two groups of religious people who are uh, sad, fasting, and, and a group of religious people who are having a great time. And Jesus' answer is, what are you doing? The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. Paralyzed people are getting up and walking. Uh, can't you see what I've been doing? Demons are being cast out. If he elaborated, he said, don't you remember the other day, I spent all day and all night casting out everybody that came, every single person that came got healed, and you're still acting like it's business as usual. What are you doing? This is a time to trust. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus has been saying. As soon as John got thrown into jail, Jesus came out and picked up where John left off and said, the kingdom of God is here, and I am that king of the kingdom. That's the gospel. The kingdom of God is here, and Jesus is the king. That's what he's saying to them. That he, he's saying to them, the whole point of fasting is to cry out to God that God would heal the broken, fix the broken. And the, and the broken are being fixed. Why are you fasting? What you have prayed for is here. Come join the party. That's what he's saying. Because I'm not going to be here that long. Hang out with me while I'm here. Come and join this party. I'm going to get taken away. And then, then you can go back to your fasting. But right now, can't you see what's happening? That's Jesus' answer, right? That's Jesus' answer. What is the purpose of fasting? Right? Fasting is a good thing. It's a, it is a, a way to communicate with God. It's a physical exclamation point at the end of a sentence that says, I need you. The heart of fasting is longing. It's putting your stomach where your heart is. It's putting your stomach where your heart is, right? As your stomach longs for food, so your heart longs for the kingdom of God. That's what fasting is about. It's going before the Lord because... Because you need him. I need him. We need him to move. We need him to talk. We need him to act, right? That's what fasting is. Fasting is a form of communication that connects us with the Lord. And, and that's why it's so inappropriate at this moment when Jesus, the king of the universe, has taken on the form of man and is walking on the face of the earth. So, that, that should make sense, I hope, to you by that time. Now, he, he tells them John's words, and then he tells this parable. This is what he says. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. 
Right, so what does this mean? He goes from a wedding analogy to a, a patch, a sewing analogy to a wine analogy, right? Um, these are really important for us to understand. The new patch and the new wine represent Jesus' teaching and how the people are experiencing God's kingship through Jesus. Jesus is actually the new patch and the new wine and his, te and his teaching. That's the new stuff. The old garment and the old skins represent the structures of the religious traditions that the people are observing, represented by the Pharisees and these disciples of John the Baptist, and their scribal teachings, right? This, this remnant of, of John the Baptist's disciples, right? And their attempts to contain Jesus have failed, right? This is, this is in the middle of a ramping up. If you notice in the book of Mark where we're at, the, the religious leaders are coming at Jesus over and over again, and the tension is increasing, increasing, and every time they come to him and they try to trip him up, he just like says stuff that's like, right? That's why he keeps doing that. And, and that's exactly the, the message that Jesus is saying is, you can't put new wine in a brittle old wineskin because it's just going to blow it up. And that's what you keep experiencing every time you come to me and you're trying to figure out, well, this is what we know and this is what you say and every time you put them together, it just blows up. doesn't work because here's what's important to understand about the uniqueness of Jesus and the uniqueness of the gospel of the kingdom of God. It can't be attached to anything else. It can't be sewn into something that already exists. When the gospel of the kingdom comes, it kills everything in its path. It doesn't, it doesn't mesh with everything, right? Um, there's what we see here is what I call gospel math. There's a math equation here. And, it, and, the, and the equation goes like this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Jesus plus something equals nothing. This is what we have to understand about Jesus and his kingdom. The gospel does not take sides in issues. The gospel comes and calls everybody on each side to repent, believe in Jesus, and be born again. And make the glory of Jesus the supreme issue. That's what the gospel of the kingdom of God does. It overwhelms everything. And, and we're in a time. It's really important for us to be able to discern what's right and what's not right. Be wary when people try to use the gospel to make political points. It's so much bigger than that. What Jesus is saying here is, don't, don't you understand what's here? This is so much bigger than everything else that you know about it. Um, it is incompatible and incomparable to everything else. Um, there's a British preacher who told a story um, that he made up. Uh, it wasn't a, a, a real story. Um, it's a conversation he made up with an early Christian and a, a Roman citizen, and here's how the conversation went. The Roman citizen says to his Christian neighbor, ah, the neighbor says, I hear you're religious, great. Religion is a good thing. Where is your temple or holy place? And the Christian answers, well, we don't have a temple. Jesus is our temple. No temple, says his neighbor, but where do your priests work and do their rituals? 
We don't have priests to meditate the presence of God, replies the Christian. Jesus is our priest. No priests. But where do you offer your sacrifices to acquire the favor of your God? We don't need a sacrifice, replies the Christian. Jesus is our sacrifice. Well, what kind of religion is this? Sputters the Roman neighbor. And the answer is, it's no religion at all. That's what's really important to understand about this parable that Jesus is teaching. It, this is, he is not introducing a new religion. He didn't come to fix Judaism. At the time, there was a lot of question about difficulty that Judaism was having. Jesus didn't come to fix Judaism. Jesus came to bring the kingdom and himself to us. And so it's really important to understand uh, what, what that is all about, right? So, here, here's, uh, so if, if you've been with me so far, um, we, we looked at the question, why, why this distinction between the way Jesus and his disciples are, are living and the other religious leaders of our day that we respect, right? And, and we saw the answer to that question. Uh, Jesus responded and said, you don't understand what's happening here. This is so much bigger than anything you've ever seen. Why aren't you joining us? Why aren't you letting go of your traditions and leaning into something that might feel a little bit awkward to you, but is full of joy, right? And then we looked at the parable and, and we saw what this, what this parable actually means, right? that the kingdom of God has come and it's not another religion. And we need to understand this. In the same sense that Jesus was speaking to religious people of his day and said, you might want to think about the stuff that you're doing. You might need to let go of it and you might need to try something new. He says that to every age. That applies as much to you and I today as it did then. You need to understand when Jesus comes, there's no such thing as one reformation that fixes it all. Because our hearts are broken and bent to take every good thing that Jesus gives to us and turn it into a God, we need constant reformation. When Jesus says, behold, I make all things new, He's doing that in us over and over and over again. And the big challenge, our response in this is, what am I hanging on to that I need to let go of? What tradition? Y'all, I'm your missionary for the Missouri Baptist Convention. We're all Baptists. Well, we might not all be Baptists here, but if you walked in today and you didn't know what you're walking into, this is a Baptist thing, <laughs> right? And, and I want to let you know, don't ever let your Baptist thing become more important than the kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom. We are Christians before we're anything. And because we are Christians, it forces us, it challenges us, it pushes us to constantly look at what we're doing and going, what are we doing, right? Because if you could, we can step back and see how ridiculous it is, how ridiculous it is for Pharisees and 
sweet disciples of John the Baptist, right? We, those are the good guys, right? But in a very short time, they took a good thing and turned it into this weird religious sect. In just a period of a few months, right? And we can see that, but they couldn't because they were in it and they were so focused on doing the right thing. What the Lord's asking you and me to do is to step back from our own lives, to step outside of us and say, what are we hanging on? What am I hanging on to? That doesn't make any sense anymore. What a gift God has given us in the coronavirus. Now I say that very cautiously. So many have lost their lives, right? And maybe you're somebody here who has lost a loved one to the coronavirus. Please don't hear me say something I'm not. This is a terrible, a terrible plague that's come upon our globe. And it's changing everything we do. But it's changing everything we do. And it's forcing us to step outside of ourselves and go, well, why do we do that? Or how do we do that? Well, we can't do that anymore. What do we do? This, this, is a, this is an interesting time. And this passage today was made for this time. It was made for this time, right? What is it that you and I are still hanging on to as a tradition of man that has nothing to do with the glorious king of the kingdom of God who has come to make us new, right? And here's the application. In this passage, Jesus legitimized fasting for us. And I wonder how many of us have ever, ever even done that, how long we've been a Christian and we've never really participated in a fast. Because here's the other thing, the reason this passage is made for these days, this is a really important time to be fasting. Let's talk for a minute about fasting. And right now, I'm talking to those of you who have been born anew into the kingdom, that you, you have recognized, you've come to the realization that the kingdom of God has come and that the king of that kingdom is Jesus and that he went to the cross for you in your place and died and paid a debt you could never pay. And then he came back to life. And he is alive. And you are alive to his presence. I'm going to speak to some of those of you who maybe haven't experienced that yet. But right now I'm speaking to you. I'm talking about fasting. One of the appropriate responses to this passage is to learn how to fast. And to make a plan to fast. I'm going to give you a real quick how-to. All right? Pick a day of the week. Or a day of the month. Or a day of the year. To fast in 2020. Communicate with those that you live and eat with at your home, your roommates, your spouse, your children. Let them know they are welcome to join you, but it isn't necessary. Just let them know in advance so that everybody can make a plan. Step one. Step two, plan which meal or meals you're going to skip. Skip them entirely or do it with only juice or water. There are no rules. There's only spiritual hunger being spoken and stoked with physical hunger. That's what this is about. 
Step three, take some of the time you would have spent eating and read the word of God. And take time to tell God why are you doing this and what you are longing for. That's as complex as this gets, right? That's your fasting how-to. Now, let me give you six biblical aims for fasting. Number one, number one reason to fast, for Jesus to come back. Oh, do you realize that there is a day coming when fasting will be banned forever? We're looking in Scripture at a day, a season, when fasting was postponed. Jesus said, don't do it now. Look what's happening. We're having a party. We're having a party. Stop fasting. Good things are happening. The broken are being healed. Like the king has come. Stop fasting. But now we're back in the days when we need to be fasting. But there's a day coming when it will be banned forever. When Jesus comes back and everything is restored. And we're reunited with the Father and the Son. Right? Pray. Fast for that day. That's a good reason to fast. Here's number two, reason to fast. For help in a new venture or a new ministry. Matthew chapter four, verses one through two. Um, Jesus was led by the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus fasted before he started his ministry. Maybe the Lord has called you into something new. That's a good reason to fast. To go to the Lord and tell him, I hunger for your direction and your leadership. Show me, guide me, guide us. Maybe you're moving. Maybe you're buying a new house. Maybe you're looking for a new job. What, you're starting something new. That's a good reason to fast. Biblical reason. Biblical reason number three, to avert some danger or threat. In Ezra chapter 8, the, the, fair, the Israelites proclaimed a fast before they headed back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And they asked the Lord to keep them safe as they went. This is a biblical reason to fast, is to ask the Lord for his protection. This is a good time to fast and ask the Lord, Lord, keep us safe from the coronavirus. Keep us safe as we love and care and minister to people. Keep us safe. That's a valid biblical reason. Biblical reason number four, to express sorrow or loss. Second Samuel chapter 1, um, the people had been defeated. They had been fallen by the sword, and they were, they, they lost, they were, they were grieving. Fasting is an appropriate way to express grief. Oh, guys, do we need to express grief over the loss of so many things, over the, the racial tension that we're, we're having in our racial history. There's so much to grieve. There's so much sorrow to express and loss. That's a valid reason for fasting. Five, to express repentance and grief for sin. Joel chapter 2, so many, um, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart, not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God. Oh, fasting is appropriate when you have, when the Lord has revealed to you sin, and you're repenting. Fasting is appropriate to do that. And then six, finally six, not for the praise of men. Jesus said in Matthew 6, whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. Don't let anybody know. Let the people you live with know. That's a practical thing. 
but when you show up here and you're fasting, I shouldn't know that you're fasting. This is between you and the Lord. And so uh, that, that, is, that is our appropriate response. If you've never fasted, talk to each other, talk to your pastor. How do I learn to fast? This is a very real, fasting, praying, and giving. Those are the big three tangible disciplines the Lord has given us. We get to do these. This isn't something we have to do. These aren't rites and rituals that we have to do to earn God's favor. Jesus did that on the cross. These are ways for us to connect authentically with the Lord through prayer and giving and fasting. These are, these are wonderful disciplines that connect us to Jesus the King, right? And so that's, that's a proper response to this passage. Now, for some of you that may be listening today, and maybe this is a relationship, you know about Jesus, you know his story, but you've never, like, he's never been born in you, right? Because here's, here's the truth. If you know his story, he's alive. He died, he was killed, but he came back to life. He's alive. And the question is, are you alive to him? Can you hear him? Do you know he's real? Do you know he's at hand? Do you know how crazy he is about you? You may be dead to the presence of Jesus. That's what we mean when we say somebody might be lost. You're just, your heart is spiritually dead. It reads the word of God and the word of God doesn't make sense. It hears these stories about Jesus and there's just something there. And if that describes you, the response to this is join the king. Here's what you do. You repent of ignoring him, of, of trying to do life on your own without the king of the universe. You believe this gospel that the kingdom has come, that Jesus is the king, that he went to the cross and died in your place for your sins, and that he rose from the dead on the third day. And then follow him. Follow him in worshiping. Start reading his word. Start hanging out with the people of God. Start figuring this thing out. Those are our responses to the word, this word that the Lord has brought to us today in the, in the rotation of our scripture. What a sweet word it is. Um, would you let me pray with you as I, as I invite uh, Evan, the worship team, to come and, and close us down? But I want to pray with his Father in heaven. You are so glorious. You are so good. Jesus, in this passage, it's crazy to see what's happening. You're literally doing things that nobody's ever seen done. And yet the people around you had a hard time letting go. Oh, Lord, would you be gracious to us again today? Uh, let us see. Let us see what we need to let go of and, and the new things that we need to lean into with you. Uh, Lord, I pray that today your word would do what only it could do. Holy Spirit, would you be among us and those who are watching us? Don't let anybody walk away from our time together today without knowing how crazy you are about them, Lord. Give them uh, wisdom. Give them grace. Give them supernatural power to be born again into your kingdom. And Lord, uh, we, we praise you and worship you today in the matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.